The following Art Trap production is brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by donations from listeners like you. What follows next is our live over-the-net review of Doctor Who Planet of the Dead, the latest Doctor Who special for 2009. So if you have not seen this episode yet, you may want to hold off on listening to this podcast until you have, because there'll be no holding back on spoilers. The live show did run a bit long, so most likely this will be broken up into two episodes. So without any further ado, this is Doctor Who Podshock Live, reviewing Planet of the Dead. Positions. Night, boys. Works for me. Hello, I'm the Doctor. Happy Easter. Right, close off the area. Shut him back! He's on the... Come in, get the car! It's definitely hard. Come on, move this! Jackson, follow that bus! Ah! Oh, you've got excitation. I'm picking up something very strange. The bus has entered the south entrance of the tunnel. We've got her. Rondian particles, that's what I'm looking for. This thing detects them. Everyone, hold on! No sign of the bus. Over. Call it a hunch, but I think we've gone a little bit further than Brixton. The voices are crying. What voices, sweetheart? They're dead. There were three sons. Three of them. Can you still drive it? Oh, no, no, no. The wheels are stuck. Look at them. They never get a budge. It was tracking a hole in the fabric of reality. Call it a hobby, but it was a tiny little hole. No danger to anyone. Suddenly it gets big and we drive right through it. But then where is it? A door in space. So what you're saying is, on the other side of that is home. We can get to London through there. The bus came through, but we can't. Well, then what are we waiting for? And I don't know. I'm going home, mate. So don't... <laughs> Tennyson, uh, I think we're out of our depth here. We need experts. Get me unit. Emergency code one. Coming to you live from a secured location underneath laser beams in an international gallery in London, it's Doctor Who Podshock. Doctor Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it. No, I <laughs> you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, over 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy and Outpost Gallifrey. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah. What blew that? <laughs> I'm the Doctor. And who are you? And who are you? Outpost Gallifrey and the Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock episode 145. And we're back live. And... I'm just um, scraping off some of the rust since it's been a few months since we did a live show, but I think we know worse for wear. With me is Mr. Ken Deep. Hello, isn't it 146? Yeah, it's 146. Yes. <laughs> I sit corrected. Okay. <laughs> Please stay seated. Yes. Well, no, I'm glad you're on the ball here. I'm only... Um, a third of the way of, of my through my first cup of coffee here, so uh, the okay. brain activity doesn't begin until I get down to like at least two thirds of the way through. Well, uh, I just want to make you aware that I am at work, so my my time unfortunately is a bit limited, and there's a lot of background noise. So uh, I just wanted to tell you that up front. James Norton, our usual third uh, partner in crime here on Doctor Who <laughs> Podshock, um, had. Uh, originally was going to be here today, but I think he had to um, bow out at the last minute. So unfortunately, James is not with us right now. So unless he peeps in to the show and later on, we'll get him on then. So okay. um, th this is a 
obviously this is a uh, Louis Trapani and Mr. Ken Deep is with me. So we're going to, this show is all about reviewing the latest special, Doctor Who, Planet of the Dead. Which It's also about your phone calls as well about the review. Yes. So we're reviewing the latest special and it came out last week as we recorded this. Well, actually, what, about eight days ago, last Saturday, where this is a Sunday. So um, hopefully everyone here has... Uh, seen it one way or the other and uh, because there's not going to be any holding back on spoilers so if you haven't seen this episode yet you may want to and you're, you're listening and if you're listening to it live then well <laughs> that that's your prerogative but if you're listening to this on the on the feed you may want to hold off on this Doctor Who Pachak episode until you have seen the episode so that this story isn't spoiled for you as I said um, there won't be any holding back of spoilers so, Planet of the Dead. Now, last episode of Doctor Who Pachuk, number 145. That's why I had that number in my head, because I was I was thinking about our last show. We did a preview, a non-spoiler preview, of, uh, at, the, at the time we recorded it, it was right after, right on the heels of the transmission of Planet of the Dead. So, it was fresh in the minds of, um, of uh, Ken, James, Amy, I believe those are the three that we had on, on that episode that had just seen it right then. So... Uh, now, hopefully, we can get Ken's um, more elaborate impression. I know he doesn't do impressions, but he may do one for you. <laughs> uh, well, to give my, my brief impression, uh, my my brief review, I give it three and a half TARDIS groans. I thought it was exactly what a holiday special is supposed to be, and that is uh, just entertaining light fare. That being said, I think there was a lot more anticipation that leading into the final specials and this really being the beginning of the end of the RTD and tenant era that we, we thought we may see something a little bit more substantial, um, something previewing the, the arc that's coming uh, in the last three episodes. And we didn't see any of that. And it, as mentioned in the commentaries, the official BBC commentaries, this was meant to be the last fun episode because everything's going to get heavy from here. So uh, that being said, I think it, it is what it is. It was a little bit too predictable. I, I really didn't like the flying bus thing. I would have preferred it just hovered a few feet off the ground and did what it did. And But Michelle Ryan was wonderful. Uh, and, and overall, you know, it was an exotic locale and David Tennant was great. I just think that, um, that it was just a little too light. It was a little it, the there really wasn't a bad guy in the story. There really wasn't a baddie, which you could be pro and con for. If you're one of those RT, RTD bashers, this story made your point exactly. And if you like Russell T. Davies, um, then pretty much you you had a light episode and you're preparing for the end of the year where, where things will get probably pretty fast and furious heading into the, the regeneration. So uh, if you're uh, uh, someone who's knocking Russell T. Davies, it's like beating up on a quarterback who's in the, playing his last game before retiring. You know the guy's leaving. What's the point of beating him up uh, is my take on it. I've, um, in Russell, we trusted. He brought the show back. If you're not happy with the way the show's come back, you could always watch Stargate. All right. <laughs> That's well, my take. I, I'm well. I'm I'm glad you had your your, your say there. Because... <laughs> no, you know, make, make what you will of that. I just <laughs> I, I just think beating the guy up when he's already announced he's leaving is just kind of futile. I like constructive criticism. I appreciate the people who have been coming and have been very constructive. And for the most part, the people that we see and the, the fans that we see have been very constructive. But there are a few people out there that are that are just you know, insultingly and needlessly uh, taking shots at, at, at his era and his way of doing things. And you know, if you if you don't like something, I didn't like the flying bus. I thought that was just goofy. But that well, doesn't mean that I'm, you know, saying, oh, thank God he's leaving. No, that's that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to just, you know, review this episode as if anyone, you know, it doesn't matter who wrote it. You know, I'm just going to review it for what it is regardless of you know the person behind the pen so to speak so it's it's not a um it, it's not based on on the person that's writing it it's based on the episode and the story that's that's on screen so that that's how i sort of take any episode you know 
and um, reviewed on it, the merits of the episode itself and not the, the past history of the writer of that particular his, um, episode. So, Ken, I wanted to get you on first only because, as you said, you're at work and um, you may not be able to stay on for the whole duration of the show. So I just that want is, to make sure. That is true, and I do appreciate it. And, and I will, if I have to bow out, which I, I will soon, um, I will get a chance to listen back and, and try to hear everybody's opinion and, and take. Because I know there's going to be a variety of opinion, and I, and I like that. That's what this live show is all about, is hearing the difference of opinions and, and for us to have an open dialogue um, again, provided it's constructive, and for the most part, the people that are Podshock listeners are always constructive and and not insulting. I just, I'm, it's wearing a little thin on me when you when you read things about, oh, the the um, the restoration team forum had to close because of all the negativity and all that. You know, when back when human nature was first in in production, and and there was this, we're going to boycott all this. And I came out very strongly then, and I'm coming out very strongly now. The producer is leaving. There's a brand new doctor, a brand new producer, a brand new team coming in. That's part of the genius of Doctor Who is that it renews itself automatically. All you need to do is be patient. There's no reason to beat it up. There's no reason to to uh, to be so negative. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I just, uh, that kind of stuff is frustrating me because that, that raw negativity is the stuff that, that happened back in 1988 and 89 that really brought, helped exacerbate the demise of the original program. All right. Well, we promise that we won't bring the, 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 the series to an end in this episode of Dr. Upachak. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to give my my thoughts on the episode. Uh, first, some um, some points about the episode. This is the first episode of Doctor Who that's uh, presented in HD. So we have our first high definition uh, presentation of Doctor Who. And those in the UK that are or, or elsewhere that may have seen it in HD, I'm hoping that some of you are in the queue and we get your feedback on on how it did look and um, and what's to be expected. What you know to in the future that we have to look forward to in high definition of Doctor Who. As Ken had mentioned, you know, it's always been about <laughs> Doctor Who's always been a little bit more um, rough around the edges in its past history. So, uh, but it's the show's come a long way since then. So it's, it's interesting to see uh, the series finally in HD at long last. Michelle Ryan is um, in this episode. And uh, after, that initial first episode of the Bionic Woman, which um, I had to uh, had to kind of bleach my brain after watching that, uh, she redeemed herself. So I was a little um, going into this episode. I, I was well. Once I, there was this bus. Anytime you see a bus out of place in Doctor Who, automatically I start having flashbacks to uh, De- Delta and the Bannerman from the Sylvester McCoy his uh, first season there and. So it's it's never a good idea to have a flying bus in Doctor Who. <laughs> just like you you avoid the word hiatus in Doctor Who. It's for those same reasons. It just brings back bad memories. So, um, but overall, I, I think going back to Michelle Ryan, I think she was a, a great asset to this episode. I think she she performed very well. Her character was interesting enough and added to the added to the show. And like I said, I think she she did a great job in it. And in my eyes, she redeemed herself for that other series that I'm that um, really belongs to Lindsay Wagner right now. <laughs> well, um, it was a, a, a pretty much a light episode. It's unfortunately they, that there was a, um, an Easter reference. I was hoping that we can get by the whole, <laughs> the whole special without any Easter reference, but they just had, a, it was in the beginning and they sort of got out of the way. And thankfully there were no, robot bunnies or anything like that and it um but still we could have just done without that I, again having a flying bus in it really <laughs> was a um an, another hurdle to go um getting past in this episode as well so uh, maybe knock a tortoise grown there but add one for at least it being off world even though it did take place on earth the the, the episode takes uh, begins on earth once again, we're, uh, we we see people breaking into. Well, we see one person breaking into a um, a museum 
by coming down. Why do they always do this? And they have these laser beam sensors or whatever, and they never have them on the top. And people always fall down from, you know, from a wire. You've seen this in all these television episodes and movies, and they, they drop down to, to grab the prize from, you know, dangling from a wire and um and and avoid you know sensors don't can't don't these people be security people watch television or movies and realize this is how it's being done and put some laser beams on the top so they can't do it that way but you must have appreciated the raiders nod <laughs> yes yes well i obviously this was foreshadowing for what was going to come later when she drops down to um to pick up the crystal which the doctor so need so um he he needed so much that he kept on insisting that he had to get the crystal and had to get the crystal. And then once she did get the crystal, let's drop the crystal and, and use these um, magic uh, clamps instead. So, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, the magic clamps went on the bus and, and enabled the, 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 the magic bus to fly. So, uh, but getting back to more of the points of the episode, we had Lee Evans uh, playing Malcolm in this episode and, uh, interesting character, though I, I felt maybe he went slightly over the top a bit. If you go back to um, Spinal Tap, where the where where these um, go to number eleven, I think maybe he went to number eleven when he should have just stayed maybe at ten. But it's uh, again going back to the fun nature of this episode. I think that's he was there to to kind of supply that. There's rumors of a spin-off series now with him, which hopefully is just going to be that rumors. You know, I, I don't really, I haven't seen anything, and it, it'd be kind of hard for me to imagine that um, that there's any reality to that. So, um, th- there was a robot, a giant robot reference there, harking back again to the, the to um, the Doctor's time with Unit there. That was interesting. Um, once again. Its unit is referred to as the Unified Intelligence Task Force. So I don't know where the N in unit is now, but we've already covered this ground, so I won't go back go back into that. Um, so as yeah, a, but how brilliant were the Tridivores? That they were <laughs> they, they were bugs, but somehow in that very short time they were given character. There was a captain, and he didn't want to leave his ship. You know, he was the last man aboard and all that kind of stuff we have to recognize some of the stuff that's in this that was brilliant well i I think it was a a nod to maybe science fiction of the past you know and you know obviously the fly and um you know they were wearing jumpsuits and all that but you know they you know (laughs) space space faring flies have to wear jumpsuits you know it's just a rule (laughs) okay I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was clever, you know. And they were there, and they weren't the bad guy. They, were, you know, as they were, as I had predicted in advance, that oh, they're the they're the most disgusting things you've ever seen. Yes, and that's why they were the good guys. And they had these uh, touch sensitive monitors, which were obviously broken because they kept them banging on the monitors with their hands before they were revealed. You know, this cliche thing of showing the. Um, you know the alien hand, you know, pointing at the monitor, and but nothing was happening. But again, I think it was um, just a send up to um, that 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 style of of movie making or storytelling in science fiction. Cliche, yes, but you know, again, as Ken said, this was a, a pretty much a light hearted episode. So, um, what did I think of it as a whole? I, I'm sure there's other points that I wanted to cover, which I'm I'm just missing right now, which I'm hopefully I'll, I'll get to later on in this episode when we have everyone else chiming in with their thoughts. Uh, I'm just going to go off and, and give my rating on this. Originally, upon watching this, I was going to give it three TARDIS groans. I rewatched it again last night just uh, to get myself um, reacquainted with it before today's live show. And unfortunately, it, it didn't get better with time. I Actually, I, I liked it less the second time around. I think uh, when I watched it the first time, it had new going for it. So uh, I originally was um, going to give it three TARDIS groans. Now it's more like maybe two and a half, only because the rewatch value just wasn't there, at least not for me. So um, I don't know. Depending on your mood, two and a half, three TARDIS groans. And that's my um, my take on it right there. And I'm going to um, open this up because we have a lot of people in the queue, so we want to get everyone's, um, you know, their take on this episode and their feelings. And uh, I think the first one up is none other than Darth Skeptop. Oh, sorry, Darth Skeptical. It's been a long time, Darth. Indeed, been quite a long time. So, welcome back to the show. How you been? I've been very well, sir. 
Thank you very much. It's good to be back, and it's good to have something to talk about that's new. Yes, yes. So it's been well, it's been three right three months or so, four months um, since our last um, new episode. So far too long to be sure. Yes, indeed. So, what well, did you think of Planet of the Dead? How did it strike you? Well, let's start with the most important thing first, and here I guess I'm at variance with what you've just said, but. When assessing any episode of Doctor Who, the test of most relevance to me is this one. Do I want to rewatch this episode? And on that front, Planet of the Dead has been the most successful holiday episode since the Christmas, uh, the Runaway Bride. Mm-hmm. Voyage of the Damned, I've never rewatched in its entirety. Next Doctor was better because the first half hour was really strong, but... My attention has really always wavered a bit in the second half. This one, by contrast, I immediately hit replay after the fabulous Waters of Mars preview. And really? I've been doing so pretty much all week long. It is, to me, extremely rewatchable. Hmm. Still, it's made me rewatch The Christmas Invasion and The Runaway Bride, and it's an entirely different kind of rewatch value than those two. Those earlier specials were truly breaking new ground. They extended the format and mythos of the show. There's an awful lot of new material in those two episodes, from the emotional reaction of a companion who's lost her doctor to the vagaries of regenerative abilities to an emphasis of how the, the TARDIS can move both in time and in space and to the introduction of screwball comedy to Doctor Who. Even if you don't like the plots of those episodes, I think you can admit that those specials were jam-packed with things you'd never quite seen in Doctor Who before. But that's not really Planet of the Dead's real strength. No, the chief appeal of Planet of the Dead is in putting a very definitional Tenth Doctor into the middle of a John Pertwee story. The enjoyment for knowledgeable fans is the sparkling dialogue, which reads like a hit parade of all the things we've come to love about the show. This is the first time the new series has really delivered a unit that feels like the unit of old. It's hard to deny the commonalities of Planet of the Dead with the demons. Hard not to get a little excited by the reappearance of the Time Warrior's Rondium Sensor. And it's all but impossible not to grin at unit guns that, in the words of our erstwhile captain, work for once. And speaking of her, Magumbo is the first of these new unit commanders who actually feels like the Brigadier of old. From her no-nonsense authority to pulling a gun on her junior to save the world to an ability to actually smile, this is the first officer that's worthy of succeeding the brigadier in our hearts. She's fallible, but she's damned effective. She's not just the muscle. Her rationale puts her at dangerous odds with the doctor, as in the Silurians. We know from this episode, in a way that we didn't with the Santaran two-parter, why the doctor might be wary of unit. She's prepared to sacrifice the doctor, which makes unit seem like, you know, an actual force to be reckoned with. If Moffat resurrects unit, I'm not sure he will, but if he does, I hope he brings Magumbo along for the ride. Now, likewise, if you rewatch this episode, you're rewarded by line after line of sparkling character-driven wit from a guy who's naming units of measurement after himself, to death in a really well-designed spaceship, to a hero who can't reasonably chastise a thief for her life choices, to a minor character being conned into buying a not-so-gold watch, to a Welsh artifact saving the day, there's a lot of clever lines bubbling away in this script, and that's why I've rewatched it so much. But... Mm -hmm. There is a price to this otherwise fine character piece. The plot doesn't particularly add up. Now, I'm not talking about the convenience of Christina having a tool for every occasion in her backpack. That, to me, isn't such a big deal, because really, I don't see anything she has as unreasonable for a thief to have. And I'm not talking about the awfully convenient mammalian ear pods on the Tridivore spaceship. I'm also not bothered with the bus driver's apparently inability, apparent inability to stop for police cars chasing him. You can find a rationale for that if you try hard enough. I'm actually 
bothered by a scientific mistake at the heart of the script. Yeah, you heard that right. Maybe it's just because James isn't here and I feel the need to step up to the scientific <laughs> accuracy plate. But I, I, the guy who had no problems with the doctor dancing around the exterior of a spaceship headed for a sun in 42, the guy who will defend Doctor Who with his dying breath as science fantasy rather than science fiction, have at actual scientific objections to a Doctor Who script. Well, I guess they're really mathematical. Okay, and now you got us all on the edge of our seats. It's the size of the wormhole. We're given to believe that it's four miles in circumference, roughly half the way into the episode, and then ultimately it grows to ten miles. We've got those numbers hardwired into the script. Assuming it's a circle rather than an ellipse, basic geometry tells us that the diameter grows, the diameter now, grows from 1.2 miles at the early stages to well over three miles by the end. That means the unit would somehow have to protect most of downtown London from this wormhole, and they'd have to organize a total suspension of movement along the event horizon of this wormhole on the hoof. Sure, this script tells us that McGumbo stopped aircraft above. That's great. RTD and Gareth Roberts at least throw us a bone in explaining this thing. But they also foreclose dramatic possibilities by thinking that's the answer to the problem. If instead we had scenes of people and cars in various parts of London slipping over the line, if instead we had scenes of our temporary residents of the Mighty 200 noticing all these bones and damaged vehicles being deposited on their back bumper, the drama quotient of this episode would skyrocket. We need more tension, a bit more hazard for our bus riders, and a three-minute sequence of units' inability to stop traffic, but we don't get it. There are times when a little math does equal better drama, and our writers missed it, I'm afraid. Still, one can readily appreciate the fact that this would have been awfully expensive. The amount of stuff that they'd have to transport to Dubai would have been prohibitive. I just wish Gareth Roberts and RTD had taken the time to have divided four by pi and thought about the result for a moment. A wormhole of 100 yards, 100 yards, and growing is still plenty threatening without exposing such an obvious missed opportunity. Despite this, I did quite enjoy the majority of the special and really enjoyed the behind-the-scenes stories of how it got made. The Confidential was excellent this time around. Mm -hmm. BBC Wales is really proving to me that when they go abroad, it's for a good cause. It's not because John Nathan Turner wanted to wear a Hawaiian shirt in Amsterdam. And it really must be remembered that the general public didn't have much of a problem with this episode. It's encouraging to note that this episode has the highest appreciation index rating of any special. The general public believes that this was the eighth best story of all time. And it's the third special in as many attempts that has been rated higher than the one that came before. One of my biggest worries going into 2009 was that maybe we'd see a bit of malaise on the part of the general audience. And Planet of the Dead deserves kudos for not letting down the home team. 2009 is really shaping up to be a good launching pad for the 11th Doctor. Now, one little final thing that doesn't have much to do with the plot itself. I do find myself, um, both with the next Doctor and with this one, thinking, come on already, I want Matt Smith. I am very ready for this era to end, and it's nothing to do with Russell C. Davids. It's nothing to do with anything being wrong with the Doctor Who that we're getting. It's just I know it's coming. I want it over. I want Matt Smith and I want him now. Yeah, it's sort of like um, anticipating a, a birthday or a Christmas or a holiday gift coming up. You know it's there. It's, it's, you see yeah, it wrapped it, up, ready to go, and now you're just anticipating it. Yeah, it's like, like with a Series 1. See, Series 1 I did not watch at the same time at all that uh, Britain would have had that that series. In fact, I waited until the the actual release of the DVDs to in North America to watch it. But yet, of course, by that time I knew that Eccleston was gone. I guess really the British audience knew that from 
the broadcast of Rose as well. But I had this feeling going all the way through that season, yeah, this is great. Yes, there's tons of new stuff here. But still, I knew at the end of the day, I was headed toward a regeneration. And it kind of made those episodes seem like an interregnum. And, and that's kind of how I feel right now. I feel like I'm caught in the middle of events that I wish would just occur already. But overall, I, now I we have think, a long wait until the next one. Uh, Russell T. Davies has um, announced that the next special will be November-ish. So we have a, a good um, half year to, um, to wait before we get anything else. We do, but I have to say that, that announcement, um, which is relatively recent, I think one only coming from this month, yes. um, is a bit of a blessing because I had thought we weren't going to get anything until Christmas Day itself. Yes, that's so, originally that's what we were all thinking because that's what he had said in a written um, interview, I think in um, SF, um, SFX Magazine, I believe it was. Right. He had mentioned uh, the next one will be in December, would be the the Christmas one. So November-ish is a glimmer of hope. It's a little, let's hope, you know, it's still not definite. November-ish still could mean, you know, come November, we still may not get anything. It could be um, early December, but we'll see. Yes, but didn't that uh, preview just make you want to see that episode? The Made your mouth water? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> how very droll, sir. Yes, indeed. But yeah, it was a great uh, preview, and I, I'm very excited to see that. Well, I, I do have a, a little point to make about the wormhole and, and what you had mentioned yourself, which um, I, I guess I wasn't paying close attention. I didn't realize that the it was that large as far as the um, you know the, the circumference of the opening. But uh, another point, uh, my, we all know about the bus. The bus was originally transported there and was damaged in um, on the ship. Uh, a crate had um, actually. Uh, was lowered or, or or swung onto the top of the of of the bus and damaged the, the bus and they worked it marvelously into the story, and it, it worked you know um, as far as the wormhole damaging the bus when it went through it. But when it went through the wormhole again, there was no further damage. There was not even a scratch. It was, it was you know the bus was identical to as it was when it you know was first in the desert. So just a little minor point there. You think when it went back into the wormhole, it would get, get damaged even more. That's a point, I suppose. Yes. But, you know, maybe you can come up with something to cover that, too. I think if you, you most Doctor Who uh, plot problems, you can come up with a solution that doesn't detract from the overall plot. But the, I think the thing about the, the circumference is that that's a problem that if you solved it logically, if you thought about the science behind it, you actually come up with something that is dramatically better than what you have by ignoring it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, final ratings, I guess I, I would give it a four, strong four, easy mm -hmm. four on the, on the basis of the, the dialogue alone and uh, on the basis of the desert. I mean, that those, the visual look of the episode yeah. was awesome. Yeah, I, you know, and you made a point about the, you know, comparing to to, um, to John Pertwee and it just um, it reminded me in hindsight now after you made that point of some of the John Pertwee stories where. You know, he's um, whisked away. Well, I guess it was, I'm thinking of the three doctors and he's in a quarry, you know, whisked away um, out of space and time. And, um, it, it, and, and it was just interacting with the other people. So, um, oh, well, so as a, as it's a, exactly. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ken. As a launch for the first high definition episode, you couldn't ask for better. It was it had all the elements to to show off the fact that it was now in high def. Those locations being. Uh, you know, a particular example. I think that's particularly true, and the fact is that this episode, regardless of the plot or anything to do with it, just because of what it is and what it demanded, I think that it w will provide a valuable learning curve for HD so that by the time that we get to the, the Matt Smith era, we're going to have a uh, special effects team and uh, a production team that is thoroughly familiar with HD that can really make that uh, format sing. And I, I think that for that reason alone, it was great to have attempted the various things that they did in this episode. It's always great when Doctor Who goes on location anywhere. You know, it's just always good to get outside of the familiar, you know, surroundings that we see all the time, you know, and it's it's always good when they do on uh, a location shoot. Though uh, when this was originally announced, it was, um, you know, they were shooting in Dubai. A lot of people were speculating that, you know, they chose Dubai because of the futuristic, you know, buildings 
that they have there. And yet all we see is the desert, but it, you know, that's all they needed. So it's, um, um, it's just interesting it, in that respect. There was indeed a lot of interesting deception in the run-up to this um, episode. I mean, as you say, if somebody says they're filming in Dubai, what I think is that they are going to take advantage of the city of Dubai. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah, as everyone did. And not only that, but there's the whole thing of RTD apparently being quoted saying, oh, the tritivores are going to become the, the next great alien. And so you think going into it, at least I did, that we were when we found the tritivores, they were going to be evil, but they weren't. And I thought that was some clever deception that was going on, some nice little lies that made the experience better. Yeah, uh, I believe Ken had mentioned in our last episode, that, or, or no, actually, actually, it was two episodes ago before Ed, that that's what his feelings were, that, that actually it was a just a ploy just to kind of throw us... Um... Yes, and just like David Tennant said in the commentary that the knocking four times isn't what you think means it is what we think, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what to think about that, and I'm not trying to think about that because I want to be surprised. But uh, at any rate, hopefully that'll at least there was a little spookiness to drive us forward towards the end. All right. Well, thank you so much, Doss. We're gonna um, we got a lot of people in the queue, so we're gonna move along. Yes, we do. And um, thanks again. Thank you, sir. All right. Cheers. All right. Next in the queue is uh, 36. I believe it's Nat. Hello. Hello. You're on Doctor Who Podshock. Can you hear me? Yes. Fantastic. First time here. Uh, I've listened to every live show. This is the first time I've actually um, thought I'd sit down and uh, go live. Well, I'm um, glad you did. Welcome to the show. I, I know um, I, I see you on Twitter all the time, so it's good to have you um, on the show finally at last. Yep, good to be here. Um, I have a bit, have a few notes. Um, Darth made quite a lot of the points I really wanted to make, so I'll just skip over those parts. So um, this was billed as the Temp Doctor's last hurrah, really. Um, Russell T. Davis on Breakfast said, it's going to be a fun romp before the dark end. So I sat down expecting to have fun, and that's exactly what, what I had. I let the story flow over me, and it was witty, it was exciting. Um, there were absolutely loads of brilliant lines and references. Um, I found myself laughing more often than I did watching the new Red Dwarf uh, that premiered the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also the first high-definition episode of Doctor Who, and being a fan, I signed up for a HD service just to see this, and I wasn't disappointed at all. It looked absolutely amazing. Uh, the details, like the, the pores on the Doctor's face, um, the sand dune vistas, uh, the, especially the Tritivore ship, CGI on that looked absolutely fantastic on my HDTV. So I wasn't disappointed in that respect at all. Um, I think overall I'd say this was almost the anti-midnight. It was kind of the Doctor's chance to put right what once went wrong. It's the same sort of situation. We've got a bus or a coach with a number 200 on it. Um, this time, though, there's an ally, and the big difference, there's no claustrophobia, there's a way out, and the Doctor has a way out, so there's no paranoia, and everything's easily diffused. Um, although I loved Midnight as well, and this doesn't come close, this was still really good fun. Um, loads of little fun things, the Doctor's little beaky gizmo, and, and how the, the satellite dish wouldn't go round. Uh, all references in the dialogue about being a Time Lord, um, what are you a lord of? Well, it's quite a big estate. Um, you, but you look human. Well, you look time lord. Um, the first ever French response to Alonzi was brilliant. Um, the um, salute and the denial of the salute. Did you just salute? No. <laughs> that was brilliant. Um, Malcolm, I loved. Um, I loved the... Um, the fact he's such a fanboy, he's just so enthusiastic about talking to the Doctor he idolized. I've read all your files. Um, I love you. He's just, every time the Doctor compliments him, he just kind of melts, and you can see in, in the way he reacts. I really, really love that. I found that absolutely endearing. Um, I really liked how Christina couldn't understand the Tritivore's uh, Formosi-style clicky language um, because she hasn't tra- traveled in the TARDIS. Whereas, of course, the Doctor could understand it because he has travelled in the TARDIS. Um, interesting, though, that the Doctor makes the clicky noises, 
not sure why he needed to do that if he had travelled in the TARDIS. Maybe it's an inherent Time Lord ability, uh, or maybe it was just Sunny, uh, which I'll let them off for. Um, I liked the concept of the swarm. Um, it was a bit primeval, maybe, in that they worked on instinct, um, and really what they were doing wasn't their fault, which isn't really something we've seen very much in Doctor Who. But I love the cleverness of it, the way that their movement causes a wormhole to open. That's, that's, you know, that's a brilliant idea, and I enjoyed it while it happened. Uh, and I really like the dynamic between the Doctor and Christina. I could kind of imagine if they'd gone off together afterwards, that you'd end up with a seventh Doctor and Ace dynamic. So the Doctor would disapprove of Christina stealing things or pretend to disapprove, but when something actually needs stealing for the plot, he'd go, yeah, go on, steal that. Just like Ace with the Night Show 9. Love mm. that. Yes. Um, so I'm going to stop now and give it four out of five TARDIS groans, because it was a fun romp, exactly as it said on, its, on the tin. Before I go over and say what I don't like about it, because I really want to stress, I, I did love it. To the end of it, I went wow that was absolute fun i laughed out loud loads of times i was excited um sometimes i was laughing because it was so ridiculous but it, it, I, I let off floors four out of five um but there are quite a few things that i have problems with um i think with a lot of rusty davis doctor who um there's a lot of plot points that are extremely convenient or or are brushed over or don't really make sense at all if you actually stop to think about them for a moment um, the, the real major one, um, I haven't thought of uh, Darth's point about it being 10 miles across. I suppose, as Dave said in the chat, it's possible that it's 10 miles across, but at the very bottom, that's the edge, and it curves up really quickly, which, which would let it off. My problem was, okay, so we've said if you're surrounded by metal, you can go through, but they can't. They, they have, you know, their bus is broken going through, but they should just be able to get back out. Um, so anything else could go through, break a little bit and let them back out. So why don't unit put through a tank or one of their armoured vans or the truck that Malcolm's in or really any metal object they have? Um, and I thought that was the real major plot point here. But then I watched the fantastic Scot Scottish falsetto stock puppet theatre. <laughs> I was um, going to mention that later on. And they said, why didn't they just put the TARDIS through? Because it turned <laughs> out the unit had the TARDIS. I'm pretty sure the TARDIS could have survived that. And as soon as I heard that, that put any other problems I had with it aside. Because it's... It's a really big problem. They had the TARDIS. They didn't even try to put a van through or anything else. So, yeah, that that was a bit of a problem. Um, obviously, the clamps around the crystal, you already made the point that the Doctor repeatedly says, I need the crystal, and then later says, I don't need the crystal, as a, so it's a joke. Um, and on a second viewing, that becomes really obvious. Um, but the, uh, my major problem with that was that it comes in five parts, um, for no apparent reason, because when it's attached to the crystal, it, it, they're just sort of spread around it. But it comes in five parts that fit exactly on the wheels of a bus and on the steering wheel that can only move in a circle in two dimensions. And somehow, by being put on the steering wheel, bashed together with some gold, they can then go in three dimensions. That made no sense to me. I also, yeah. even though I thought it was really funny, the Oyster card thing, why was the psychic paper able to work with a with an Oyster card reader? With? The, yeah, the, that's, that's not got a mind. Yeah, um, exactly. If it was the Sonic, that would have made perfect sense. But obviously that wouldn't have been funny. So I suppose I let them off given what I've already said. Um, it felt like it ended over and over again. They had an extra 15 minutes and most of it was just lots and lots of goodbyes. Almost as many endings as Return of the King. Um, but... I don't know. I think really my main problem overall with lots of things, I really have a pet hate against psychic characters who are psychic for no plot reason. And I suppose by now Russell T. Davis has established that some people are a little psychic or sensitive in the Who universe, so I should drop the point. But what really, really gets to me is the way that psychic characters, regardless of their background, their period, their species even, always say the same things as each other, even if they're years apart or on a different planet. You bad wolf, there's something on your back. 
I'm sure that some people would have just gone, oh my God, I see something on your back. Or what is that thing on you? They would always yeah. say there's something on your back. Uh, the darkness, is, they always make references to the darkness. And the big one, your song will end soon, only made sense when the Ood was saying it. It, it, it. The only way this makes sense to me is if in the pure universe, psychic powers kind of work like a teleprompter. So you see a person, there's just a, a spool of kind of things written over their forehead, like uh, your song exactly. will end soon, and you just read them out. I, uh, and that, I, re- I really oh. have to agree with you about this. The psychic characters are annoying the crap out of me. Uh, I, because either... Either you're 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 calling them out for what they are, which is that they're just guessing, or that they genuinely have ability. But every time they have an ability, it's always the same muddled references as you're opposed to being stuff. something specific. Yeah. So yes, I see the darkness. You know, what does that mean? It means nothing, and it and it should mean nothing if you're if you're saying that it really doesn't exist. If you don't believe that it exists, and if you do believe that it exists, you should be able to say, hey, the lottery numbers tonight are twelve, fifteen, twenty-one, thirty. You know, really have something specific. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and why would why would you be able to win the ten pound lottery every week? And either that just happens by accident or she's intentionally trying to win £10 every week. But even and, way, and she surely, doesn't go for the million-dollar one. <laughs> yeah, and surely the, you know, the National Lottery, the Camelot, would come back and say, hmm, you seem to win £10 every single draw. Um, that, that would probably lead to them getting investigated or banned for life. Um, but oh, oh well. Um, and uh, the, the other thing that really kind of, Stuck in my throat when I watched it the the first time, and I didn't like was the doctor kind of suggesting that the that Barclay and Nathan should join unit, join the military sh- straight away. Given the way he reacts to unit in the Centauran stratagem and the Poison Sky, that seemed really out of character for the doctor at that point. Um, and also, it kind of felt really odd within the episode because we'd just basically seen Magumbo uh, order their deaths essentially, and the death of everyone else on the bus. So from that point of view, it seems very odd. Um, but, you know, I suppose the Doctor's just changed his mind. I'm sure he's had thousands upon thousands of adventures that we're going to hear in audio and in books and so on and comics for, for forevermore in this missing period. So maybe stuff happened that made him like units. So I, I, I have to disagree with Darth Skeptical, and the past caller, saying that I, I didn't like this brigadier, well, this captain, whatever the, the unit, the captain. leader is. I don't think the brigadier in a million years would have put a gun to any one of his soldiers. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. Um, and the the other thing, um, which is a little point, I, I really, really like Malcolm, as I said already, um, but I found it extremely familiar. I don't know if any of you have watched The British Empire, which is Chris Barry's 1990 sitcom, but it includes a character called Colin, who's a bit of an inventor. Um, he absolutely, he's the only character that likes Mr. Britters. He absolutely fawns over him and is massively overly enthusiastic and has a really bad false Welsh accent. And um, Malcolm was exactly the same. If you do a search for um, the British Empire Colin on YouTube, you get a video where Colin is constantly going, I love you, to Mr. British over and over again, Um, which is ironic that it's right at the top there. So something to investigate. I still really like the character. It just seemed odd. Uh, I'm going to stop there i'd just say um four out of five um tardis groans as i said before um the details didn't worry me while it aired i let a lot of it off because it was fun and it was supposed to be just a fun romp and really that's what it was yeah i i uh, just uh make a point of the uh, again with the drawing of the gun on malcolm I, I thought that was a little a bit too much as well and then malcolm later on just seemed to it, it just didn't happen at all as far as he was concerned. It didn't seem like it had any effect on his um, feelings towards his uh, superior at all. That, that yeah, well, she drew a, yeah it would be a, a loss of trust. And I think yeah. I think the, the, the brigadier of the classic brigadier, our brigadier, let's pursue it, wouldn't draw the gun. He would, uh, there would be a talk down situation so that he would always maintain the moral high ground by saying, you know, you're the one, I need you to do this. This is what needs to be done, and I'm giving you an order, as opposed to having to force it down their throat. I don't know, I just found, that was one thing that I found was a little jarring. I, 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 I lost trust 
in in that commander at that time, I was like, well, I don't like this particular person. And then suddenly yeah, I was I, supposed I, to be I, all warm and fuzzy about her at the end. I I I, I don't. Yeah, really I, I tend to agree. I I think that that kind of spoiled the character a bit. Yeah, I, I I'd absolutely agree with that, and I see that they said in the chat that for someone who liked the episode, I've found a lot of problems with it. And for me, that's what it means to be a fan. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you're a fan, you know every single fault, um, but you still love it. And, and in way, some ways, that's why you love it. Well, yeah. we anyway, joke about that a lot here, you know, where we come on, we do these shows, and we start tearing apart the episodes, even even the ones that we love. And we'll, we may give it four and a half Tardis Groans or a five, but we'll still tear it apart. We could, we could do a live show on the Pyramids of Mars and tear it apart. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you pick, pick what you want, uh, you know. I actually cut down my list. I have so many more flaws. Remember, <laughs> if it's if it's constructive, there's a different that's a different side. When you're constructive, when you say, "Hey, I'm a fan. This is why I think this. I, I, I why wow, this could have been a little tighter. This could have been a little bit better. That's fine. Uh, constructive is fine. Well, it, it's sort of like a parent and their children. You know, their, their parents can really find lots of fault with their children. It doesn't mean they don't love their children. It's because they love their children so much that they they find all these you know minor faults and they may harp on their children about it and that's just you know because they're, they're very passionate so i mean that's so you've given thing. birth to an episode <laughs> <laughs> all right nat well i thank you so much thank you for calling thank you in very and much. welcome to thank, the show and, um and we look forward to having you back on um we may i don't know you know do another live show before the next uh special but um we'll keep you posted okay i'll look out for that thanks Ken. all right well we're gonna move along because there's still lots of people in the queue. So um, I know Dave is asking um, about when we'll play our next, we'll, we'll play the next part of the montage that Dave had prepared right after our next caller, which is Benjamin Elliott. Hello, Benjamin. Are you there, Ben? Yep. I'm right here. Okay. We're hearing yeah. you. Welcome good back to the show. Yeah. It's good to be back. So, so what I, what did you like about Planet of the Dead, or what didn't you like about Planet of the Dead? I, I mostly liked the story. I thought it was a very good one for TARDIS groans. And I didn't get to see it in HD, but I did get to see the side effects. The overall picture quality was much better. It didn't look like someone had tried to smear the image of it. I think their uh, filmizing of the video before did tend to smear things somewhat. And it was much clearer, even in the standard definition version. So I think people will, very, people will be very happy with the looks. Uh, yeah, James had made a point about that on our last episode, On the, right on the heels of watching it. They watched it on standard definition. They, they even said it looked cleaner or, or you know, it, the, it was even more defined in standard definition than what they're used to with Doctor Who. Yes, I think many shows, at the point that they switched to high definition, people noticed a picture improvement. It's just the Doctor Who's doing it a bit after many other shows we follow. And as far as the actual episode and the content, yeah, it was it was good all over. I did note with amusement that, in a sense, Russell T. Davies did the pilot for the Magic School Bus. All we have to do now is send Christina and the bus back in time, do a few repairs, and you have that 1990s PBS kids show all ready to go. Okay, well, I, I well, think I missed that that well, show, but change the bus. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> I, I get weary. I, I I still get uh, flashbacks or um, to to Delta and the Bannerman. So I. <laughs> well, so, try flashbacks to a PBS kids show instead. Maybe it'll be easier. <laughs> Perhaps. And it was nice to see the return of the Tomasi. I'm sorry, the Tritivores. Yeah, the Tomasi. Well. It, it did look like, if you were giving the Tomasi an overhaul, they look like the Tritivores now. Mm-hmm. I did like, I liked the opening there with the, uh, it was very, it seems very Return of the Pink Panther style, the way they had the opening with her going for the item. And a nice little absurdity, leaving a cat behind. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I do, one thing, it occurs to me, Russell T. Davies is thinking a bit like, a future fan here. Uh, right now, we're getting these far apart. But five, ten years from now, 
the next generation of fans are going to come along, they're going to watch these episodes probably in order, like DVD sets or whatever the current format is, or maybe on television. There isn't going to be large gaps between the stories. They're going to go one after the other after the other. So they're going to watch Journey's End, and then right after that, the next Doctor, and right after that, Planet of the Dead. So I think part of the varying of the styles that we're getting is the fact that he wants this to work for people watching in the future when they're seeing it all in order, without the big gaps that we're getting now. So you're not going to get a big, long series of things that are really dark or really light in a row. It's going to be a constant change-up of the style. So, like, months and months from now, when we get Wars of Mars, which is supposed to be a scary one, it's going to be immediately after this for people in the future, and it's going to be Doctor Who changing up the style again. And it might work better for those people in the future than it does for us now. As far as what I wasn't really in, well, this is more of something I wished would happen than a complaint. This was filmed after Matt Smith was cast, and, you know, it would have been fun to get a Matt Smith cameo. And in the chat, people mentioned that people brought up the issue of The Watcher. You know, back in the Pertwee era, we had Plants of the Spiders, where Choji turned out to be a future incarnation of Kampo. Then we have Logopolis in the Tom Baker era, where you have the Doctor haunting the Doctor as the Watcher. And I just think it'd be neat to have Matt Smith turn up in various ways in these last specials, setting the stage a bit and freaking out the Doctor because the Doctor detects him as another incarnation. And it may still happen in in one of the... It may still happen. We still have that opportunity, you know, coming up. Yeah. Yeah, and even though he may have been cast, there was still a lot more that had to be done as far as Matt Smith's 11th Doctor, his costume, you know, everything else, that, uh, you know, how he was going well, to portray I think him. It's sort of a was... spectral thing. That way you don't have to have a costume ready. Just You just basically have to get him in without – you could probably get him without the costume. Glowing Obi-Wan style. Yes, just sort of the idea is to spook the Doctor and the audience. (laughs) At least that's my imagination thinking. And and just while it's on my mind, happy birthday, David Tennant. I think yesterday was his birthday. Yeah, yesterday was his birthday. He turned 38. He did, and and they were actually – they had a night shoot last night, so he didn't really have a chance to celebrate from what I hear. Probably his last birthday as a doctor. By the time he turns 39, Matt will have the job. Yeah. Well, what did you give your TARDIS grown rating? How would yes, you rate I gave this episode? Four TARDIS grown out of five. Very good. And we also and want to make a, to the next one. Make a note that Benjamin Elliott is the uh, the compiler. Is that a good mm-hmm. way of putting it? Of the legendary this week in Doctor Who, it's the uh, the email blast slash um, in very informative listing worldwide of all the places that you can see Doctor Who and now Torchwood and Sarah Jane as well. And K nine. And K nine. Uh, well, and the doctor's daughter. <laughs> and podcasts. Okay. And the new Malcolm spinoff. And and the new Malcolm spinoff. <laughs> Malcolm in the middle. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again, Benjamin, and um, and that all the work that you do, it's exhausting. Well, I don't know how you do it, but um, you know, many many people appreciate it. So thank you so much for everything you do. Okay, talk to you soon. All right, cheers. Okay, this seems to be a good natural place to conclude part one of this live over the net episode of Doctor Who Podshock reviewing Planet of the Dead. Come back for episode 147 where we'll continue this live over the net review. There's more to come, so you won't want to miss it. I want to thank everyone that participated in this first half of the show, well, as well as those that participated in the second half of the show, but that's another podcast that I can, you know, thank them in, in 147. So, (laughs) so for now, let me thank everyone that participated in this half of the show, and we'll be back very shortly with episode 147 of Doctor Who Podshock, where we continue where where we leave off here 
with reviewing Planet of the Dead. We want to hear what you have to say about it. So until then, cheers, everyone. On behalf of Ken, James, and myself, thanks for listening. have been listening to Doctor Who Pachock by the fan run GallifreyNembassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Pachock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next time for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Pachock. You can email us at feedback at pachock.net. Opening theme by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This is Louis Trapani. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Louis Trapani. Of course, you can follow Dr. Who Podshock on Twitter as well at twitter.com slash Podshock. This Art Trap production is brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible in part by donations from listeners like you. And what's your name? I'm the Doctor. Name, not rank. The Doctor. Surname? The Doctor. You're called the Doctor? Yes, I am. That's not a name. That's a psychological condition.